0: Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Episode 32. Jesus enjoyed an intimate relationship with his Father. He often spent time with him in prayer sometimes all night long. Throughout his ministry, Jesus frequently spoke about how his words and deeds were not his own, but the Father's who sent him. Paradoxically, by utterly submitting himself to God, he experienced the greatest exaltation in human history. Learn from Jesus the true path to greatness. If you'd like to watch a video of this class or download the course notes, visit restitutio.org. Here is The Historical Jesus, Part 8, Paradoxical Submission. Jesus enjoyed an intimate relationship with his father. He often spent time with God in prayer. When he first began his ministry, he prayed and uh, he healed people. There was a night, it says, after sunset, that's what Luke says, that all these people came to Peter's house. And Jesus, first he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then It seemed like the whole village lined up, at least all the sick people, and he healed them all. And then we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the very next day, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. So you get the picture, right? He's healing people all night, and then he still rises early in the morning, very early in the morning when it's still dark. And what, what, is, he, what is he in such a rush to do? Where is he? he's, he's hiding away. He's gone to a desolate place there to spend time with God in prayer. Right before he chose the 12, he spent time in prayer. It says he spent all night in prayer on a mountain. And then the next day, he, he picked the 12 disciples to follow him. As his popularity increased, it says in Luke 5.16 that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was the normal habit of his life. It was when he finished praying in a certain place that his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Why did they ask him to teach them to pray? Well, he's, they saw Jesus praying. Jesus prayed a lot. He, spent, he had an intimate relationship with his father. After feeding the 5,000, he sent his disciples away on a boat. There's a lot that goes on that day. Earlier, he had found out John the Baptist had died. And then his disciples had just gotten back. And then there, he wanted to get away with them. But then there were all these people. And Jesus had compassion on them. And so he preached to the people. And he spent so long preaching to the people that it was now a meal time. And so he ended up feeding the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish, and then now it's it's coming on to nighttime, right? And so Jesus sent his disciples. He sent them away. He said, get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. I'll meet you there. And then he snuck up to the mountain in the evening, and he spent time with his father. He prayed. He didn't even have a ride to the other side of the lake, which is why he walked on the water, by the way. seemed like he worked it out, but he, w- he wanted to spend time with God. He was one with God. He enjoyed intimacy and oneness with his creator. And so for Jesus, he depended on God for everything. And this is something that I think will help temper what we looked at last time, where Jesus is requiring absolute commitment uh, to him. And once you see how Jesus thought about himself in relationship to the Father, I think it really helps to make sense of it all. There's a paradox of greatness here. Through utter submission. Jesus completely submits himself to God. And God lifts him to the highest position um, at his right hand, as we'll see. Forty times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he was sent. He said, the one who sent me, or I was sent by the Father, things like that. Jesus was utterly transparent. You know what transparent means? It means when you look at him, you don't see him you see through him to something else, right? If you, uh, windows are supposed to be transparent, right? So you're supposed to be able to see the trees outside rather than look at, and if your window's really dirty, then it's not transparent anymore, right? And you see the dirt on the window instead of the tree behind the window. Jesus is transparent to the God who's at work within him. This is what Jesus says, John 12:44. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Isn't that something? If you believe in him, you don't believe in him. You believe in him who sent him. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. So he's all about the one who sent him. You see that? John 14, verses 9 and 10. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in him. There's a relationship here that is so intimate, so intertwined, that Jesus says when you look at him, you don't see him. You see the Father. That's what he's saying here. And how is this all possible? How is it possible that he could do these things and and speak in this way? Well, we, we don't have to guess. We know from Isaiah, the prophecy of chapter 11, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. The prophecy is that the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now, I know this pertains more to the age to come. But Jesus is the man of the age to come who's living in, 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 the, in the time that he lived, but he's representing in the future age. So the spirit is already at work within Christ doing these things, providing Jesus with wisdom. And we'll see this in a later time together, how they would ask him stumper questions. And Jesus would give him an answer that they would just, they would just not be able to handle, right? There was that Solomon-like wisdom that Jesus had. And so it's... And Jesus says this, we'll see in just a second, Jesus says this over and over and over again, it's not me, it's the Father, it's God. Everything about his life was like a big arrow pointing to God. And how did that work? It worked through the spirit that God had given him. Or Isaiah 61, one of Jesus' uh, a most significant verses when he started his ministry, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and so on. Again, it starts with the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. God is somehow empowering him through the spirit. And so God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And this is what separated Jesus from everyone else. What separated Jesus from everyone else is not that he, you know, was was taller or stronger, could run faster or jump higher What separated Jesus from everyone else was the fact that he totally depended on God. He totally depended on God. Absolute dependence on God. He had no pride in his own abilities, no ego. He deeply trusted God. And this is the greatness of Jesus. More than anything else, this is the greatness of Jesus. His absolute dependence on God. Because, I mean, if you trust God, you're going to be all right. Because he's a, he is a, an awesome father who cares for us, and he is, you know, he's the one with the plan. Jesus is following the plan. So I've got uh, some of these verses. Well, there was a time that some critics came up to Jesus, and they misunderstood how Jesus called God Father, and they thought that he was claiming equality with God. This is uh, we read this in John five eighteen. They said that they thought Jesus was making himself equal with God by calling God his own Father. That's exactly not what Jesus was doing. What Jesus was doing was saying, it's all about him. And they, and they misunderstand it to be, I am on the same level as the Father. That's not exa- that's not a, So Jesus clarifies that in John 5.30. He says to them, truly, truly, I say... Well, this is actually John... Did I skip it? Well, let me read you John 5.19 first. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. And then a few verses later, John 5.30, it says, I can do nothing on my own. That's what He said. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me john eight twenty eight I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me or john fourteen twenty eight the father is greater than I, and so Jesus is not out claiming to to making grandiose claims. What he's saying over and over, especially in the Gospel of John, is that the Father is at work within me, that when you see me, you see the Father, not because I am the Father, but because I represent the Father, and because I'm saying the words the Father wants me to say, I'm doing the deeds the Father wants me to do, and this is his will. Uh, so I want, I want to look at this. I have really three main points. The, the, uh, the, Jesus spoke the words of the Father, he did the will of the Father, and he did the works of the Father. A lot of W's there. That was not on purpose, but uh, preachers do like alliteration. Um, there's an ancient prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18, right? Anybody ever read about Moses? Moses' relationship with God is just, it's, well, they, well your name is Moses, so you would know. Uh, it, it is so tight. I mean, it's really nothing like it. You read Exodus, and, and you read the relationship he had with God that he used to sneak away with God in a tent, The two of them would speak face-to-face. It says as as a friend uh, speaks face-to-face. Now, we do know that he never actually saw God's face because in Exodus, it also tells us that God says, if you see my face, you won't be able to survive, (laughs) right? But uh, Moses had this incredible relationship with God, and God spoke to Moses, and, and Moses spoke to the people. See how that relationship works? In this prophecy, Moses says that God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. Isn't that so fascinating? I will put my words in his mouth. So it's his mouth. He's speaking, but it's God's words. And he shall speak to them all that I command them. Look at that that obedience there, right? He's going to speak to them all that I command them. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak... In my name, see how it went there? My words, he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. Why will God get involved? Why will God require it of him? Because they're really God's words. They're not his words. They're God's words. And so God is going to, to take up for that, that situation or that person who, who does not heed the words of this super prophet. So Jesus fulfilled this prophecy magnificently. Um, he repeatedly God. Gave God credit for His words. Look, look at these uh, scriptures. In John three thirty four, we read, "For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure." Or how about Jesus in John seven sixteen? He says, "My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me." Isn't that so simple? But it's like, well, wait, wait what are you saying? But that's what he, he was an agent. He was a representative. He was not generating. He was not the one out from whom everything originated. He was the conduit, the mediator. He's the one that was bringing the teaching of the Father to the people. John 8, 26. He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. For I have not spoken. This is John twelve forty nine. For I have not spoken on my own authority. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I say as the Father has told me. Over and over throughout John, this aspect of how Jesus receives His wisdom and his, even just His words, is so clear that it comes from the Father. John 14, 10, do not believe. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Or John fourteen twenty four. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I think I've made the point. One more just for fun. For I have given them the words that you gave me. Right? I mean, this is actually a prayer of Jesus. He's praying to the Father. He's like, Father, I've given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus, over and over and over again, says that his words are not his, but the Father's. And then the second was his will. This is one of my favorite ones. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What does that mean? Your food. It's like man shall not live by bread alone, right? Like, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus' food, his uh, substance, his sustenance, what sustained him, what helped him to—I mean, what mattered to him. His necessity was to do the will of Him who sent me. Jesus was his whole life. His whole ministry was all about. God it was all about doing what God wanted him to do for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me again not my own will but the will of him who sent me I always do the things that are pleasing to him I do this is John fourteen thirty one. I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father I do what he's commanded me I do what he says Right? so what Jesus says to his disciples you got to do what I say he knows what that means he's already doing what God says right so it kind of helps make sense of some of his absolute claims the miracles are really God's as well not a big surprise there Acts ten thirty eight says that it was God who empowered Jesus to go about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil God empowered him to do that um, Jesus says, if I am not doing the works of my Father, John ten thirty seven. if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He calls the deeds he does, whether acts of compassion or miracles, he calls them the works of his Father. John 14.10, The Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And so Jesus' deeds come from the Father. All right, so this is one side of the, of the coin, so to speak, is submission. Right? But I told you it was paradoxical. Paradoxical means it seems one way, but it's really the opposite way. And so, because Jesus submits to God wholly, God exalts him to a level beyond any other being in the universe. All right. And so, one leads right into the other. And what we end up seeing is, well, John fourteen six, Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth." And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a big statement. That's a yeah. He's saying he's the only way. That's a huge statement. There, right? Was was Jesus an out of control megalomaniac? No, he represented God to the people. He is not just the um, messenger, but he is also the means of salvation right Jesus is God's plan to save the world so if you reject Jesus you reject God and there's not a plan B it's not like he's gonna send Jose later on in case you don't like Jesus because of whatever reason he didn't do this the way you wanted to or whatever there's no Jose there's just Jesus Jesus right and so Jesus would ask the question um, what does God want me to do? And people had to respond to that. And so it, the way it ends up happening is God honors Christ. Jesus submits to God. God honors his son, right? And he says, look, you have to respond to Jesus. And if you, depending on how you respond to my son, that determines your relationship with me. That's how God sets it up. And so it's not, it's not a small It's not a small way to say it or a small uh, honor that he gave him. Um, Let's take a look at John 5, 26. As a result of Jesus' utter submission to God's will, he gave him astounding authority. I I love this scripture because it, it so ties in to the Son of Man prophecy we saw from Daniel before. If you recall, the Son of Man prophecy of Daniel was that Dale saw in the night visions, and there was an ancient of days. That's the figure representing God in the vision. And before him, you have 10,000 times 10,000 of these angels and all this incredible courtroom scene that we have. And then one like a son of man is presented before the ancient of days. And to him is given a kingdom and glory and dominion that every nation and people and language would serve him right and his kingdom will last forever and it will never be destroyed and it'll you know ne- never be given to anyone else right so that's a scene from Daniel right and so if Jesus really is the son of man the father has to give him this i mean that's the vision right the vision isn't the son of man goes up to the ancient of days and says i've done everything that you ever asked me to do now i'm going to take the kingdom no he's presented before him and to him is given Okay, so look at this in John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Notice that word, granted, there. That's a significant word. That means Jesus is not the source. The Father is the source, but he's giving it to Jesus. But it's a big thing he's giving him. To have life in himself? Hello? That's a big thing. Verse 27. And he has given him, what? Authority. There's the given again. He gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So the Father granted him to have life in himself and authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do, and he, follow, you know, like he has this incredibly exalted statement, and then he follows it up with, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So you have both, right, side by side, this incredible exaltation to be the Resurrector, the one who has life in himself, who is going to decide who is It goes to the resurrection of life and the resurrection of judgment. And then right next to it, I can do nothing on my own. This is really, it's really all him. You know, he's just giving me this job, but it's really all about him. And that's how Jesus was. Still is. He's not changed. The relationship was two-way. Jesus humbled himself completely before God now. Therefore, God promised to exalt him above everyone else later. Often the skeptics of Jesus' time misunderstood and twisted what he said regarding his relationship to the Father. I mean, it was really difficult for them to grasp this kind of a relationship that Jesus had with the Father. It was, it was just either their hard-heartedness or they were intentionally misunderstanding it. Sometimes people do that. Or maybe it was just they just couldn't see it. They were just spiritually blind to it. But whatever the reason was, that's what they did Over and over and over especially this is brought out for us in the Gospel of John so it's important when you read the Gospel of John or any gospel really but especially the Gospel of John to recognize who was saying what we want to be careful not to side with the critics of Jesus right so you don't want to just like take a random verse out and say oh well this this means this well hold on who said those words And did Jesus correct them in the next verse? You know, it's like quoting from Job. A large portion of the book of Job is totally off off the mark because at the end of it, God says, these guys have not spoken well of me, right? You have chapter after chapter after chapter of these guys giving these grandiose speeches. And at the end, God rebukes everyone. And he's like, they haven't spoken rightly about me at all. And you're like, oh, I better not quote the middle of Job and, you know, put it on my refrigerator and claim it as a promise, you know, because this might be from Bildad the Shuhite, and he's the shortest guy in the Bible. You shouldn't trust him for anything. But anyhow, let's look at this in John chapter 10. It says, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. And you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, that's important. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is my equal. That's not what he says, right? He says, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand, right? So, in the one line, no one's able to snatch them out of my hand, my father's greater than all. He's the one that gave me the sheep, no one's going to snatch them out of his hand. And then he says, I and the father are one in caring for the sheep and not being, you know, snatching them out of their hands. Verse 31 the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Okay, this is getting intense. They picked up rocks, right? Jesus answered them I have shown you many good deeds from the Father for which of them are you going to stone me the Jews answered him it is not for a good work that we're gonna stone you duh but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God so that's their. that's that's what they think Jesus is saying is that what Jesus was saying no what Jesus let's let's go back and look at it again Jesus said, they asked him the question, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. Jesus says, I told you and you do not believe. If you don't believe, look at the works. And he doesn't even claim the works. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name. He doesn't even claim, the, he's like, look, I'm doing these in my Father's name. That's with his authority, that's in his, according to his purpose. They bear witness of me. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. He's, he's, not, he's not making grandiose claims here. He is saying that they're outside, though, and maybe they feel a little upset about that. You're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. No one's going to snatch them out of my hand. My Father's given them is greater than all. No one's going to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. They misunderstand him. They think he's saying that you, being a man, make yourself God. So this is how Jesus responds to this, and this is pretty cool. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? Whoa. Yeah, that's from Psalm 82, 6. I said, you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Look, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Blockheads. Good, good summary statement there. And so this takes a little bit of effort to, to process. I recognize that. Because in our language, when we say the word God, <clears throat> we typically just mean the Father. Okay? that's not always true, though. Because we, we're familiar with the verse where it says Satan is the God of this world or the God of this age. Right? 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So what are we, binitarians or polytheists or bitheists? because we believe in two gods? No. But we also believe in angels, and angels aren't humans, right? So are they gods or not gods? I don't know. You know what I mean? So, like, it gets a little complicated. But here's, I want to show you this. This is a Hebrew lexicon, and I, oh, yeah, I think you can still read it. On the top there, well, you probably can't read the Hebrew word, <laughs> but on the top there, it's the word Elohim. You see that there, the word Elohim? The, Elo- the word Elohim is the Hebrew word just means God. Okay, It's just the Hebrew word for God. And this is the brown driver and Briggs, a very standard, old-school Hebrew lexicon. Uh, definition number one, plural in number, the definition for God is rulers or judges, either as divine representatives at sacred places or as reflecting divine majesty or, and power. 1B is divine ones, superhuman beings, including God and angels. C, angels. D, gods. Definition number two is a god or a goddess. And then three is talking about the true God, Yahweh. And then four, God again. So we're familiar with all the rest of those. But the one I highlighted here where the word God can be translated rulers or judges is probably not familiar to most of us. Um, and that's because they had this principle of agency where the agent can be understood or, or called as the one who is whom they're representing okay and we do have this in our society when agent Smith knocks on the door he doesn't say agent Smith he says FBI now agent Smith is not the FBI he is an agent of the FBI but he says FBI right or the or the officer rings the doorbell for whatever kind of phone call he received, and he doesn't say, Officer Brown. He says, Police, open up. Right? As because, but he's not the police. He's just one policeman. Right? And so we have this in our society in certain areas, but they had it in a, to a bigger degree. Here's another lexicon. Uh, this is from Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek, so you have theos, which is the word for God in Greek. Definition one, pretty non-controversial, right? A supreme, supreme divine being. Number two is an idol. Number three is the devil. Number four is an adjective, divine. And then number five is figuratively of persons worthy of reverence and respect as magistrates and judges, or called gods. And this is, then what verse are they citing here? The very verse we're in, John 10, 34, right? And then here's the my third and last Greek lexicon. I'm just showing you Greek lexicons because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. This is this is a Greek dictionary, all right. It's the kind of thing that nobody wants to really read, but that you know. Uh, so this is the Thayer's Greek de- uh, lexicon. Uh, definition one: a general appellation of deities or divinities. Definition number two talks about whether Christ is called God, and he cites a number of verses and says the matter's in dispute among theologians. Number three, he's spoken of the one and true God. Number four is the one that I am interested in because of what we're looking at here. Theos is used of whatever can in any respect be likened to God or resembles him in any way. Hebraistically equivalent to God's representative or vicegerent of magistrates and judges. John 10.34 after Psalm two six, And so these lexicons are citing this usage of the word God that Jesus had in John 10, 34, saying this is a different usage than definition 1, 2, or 3. This is, according to Thayer, this is definition number 4, where a human, a judge, a ruler, a representative is called God because they represent God. And so that's what happens in Psalm 82, where Jesus quotes it from. The rulers are being bad. They're not executing justice. And God says to them, I said you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. That's the whole verse Jesus quoted. He just quoted the part where it says, I said you were gods. But they lived in a Torah society, in a, you know, a Hebrew Bible society. You just need to quote a few words, and they know the whole, the whole context of that. right? And so what I'm saying is that Jesus is pointing attention to this, to us would be a, a rare usage of the word God to make the point that Jesus is a representative that's the whole gospel of John all the way through from the word became flesh right up until the point at the end where he dies doing the Father's will on the cross the whole point is that he is saying the words of God he is doing the works of God according to the will of God pointing everyone to the one who sent him here are some examples I don't have time to look at any of these, but you have have angels, right? Angels will speak as if they're God in the Old Testament. At the burning bush, when God calls to Moses, you read it carefully, it's really an angel. But the angel says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The angel's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he's, as the representative, he's speaking in the first person. You see that with the prophets, too. The prophets will say, I, Yahweh, have called you out of the land, or whatever, and it's it's not really Yahweh speak, it's really the prophet. But they're speaking in God's place, so they are referred to in that way. And then the judges of Israel, most translations will soften these verses out. Exodus 21, 5 and 6, Exodus 22, 8 and 9. Most, most of the time, translations will just whitewash those so you don't see it. But it's actually the word God there, and they will translate it as judges. Um, and that's because the judges in the village, the judges would represent the will of God. They would be the ones bringing about justice on different situations that would come up according to the law of God. And then, of course, the verse we looked at here was Psalm 82, which Jesus quoted in John 10:34. And then some kings are called God. In Psalm 45, there's a king who's getting married. And he, is, he has his court poet, and the poet is overwhelmed with the king's grandeur. And he calls the king God. Then he says, God, your God, has anointed you with an oil of gladness above your companions. And, then, um, and that's, that's actually picked up in Hebrews 1.8 uh, and applied to Jesus. But originally, this was just a regular Davidic king that, that is being called God. And then Isaiah 9.6 as well be another case where the Davidic king, the son of David, who's the king, uh, this is a prophecy, is called God. In this case, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. I think you're probably familiar with that. So as we will see, God's exaltation... I mean, my point is, Jesus... I know this is different for our, from our society, but for Jesus, this was an understood way of thinking about God. And Jesus is, is saying... is He's trying to help them understand how he's thinking about himself and his relationship to the Father as a representative. As we will see, God's exaltation of Jesus did not end there. After his resurrection, Jesus said... And this is a big statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hello. I got that from Joel Hemphill. Hello. All authority in heaven and on earth has been... But, you know, that's a big statement. But then, again, it's given to him. It's not by nature his. It's given to him. Later on, after he ascended, we read that God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Today, Jesus is the highest exalted being in the universe next to God. How did he get there? Exactly, doing God's will. It wasn't by clawing his way to the top, stepping on those beneath him. No, he emptied himself of himself so that God could fully indwell him. If the greatest man who ever lived depended on God this much, how much more should we trust in God and seek his guidance on how to live and what to say and what to do? If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitudio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.